You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the final one of my podcast recorded at the LA Podcast Festival earlier this year. Uh, This is Dave Anthony, who, uh, as well as being one of the organisers of the podcast festival, uh, also has a fascinating backstory within comedy, uh, known as the angry guy who managed to screw up his own career by having unresolved issues, which he's uh, thankfully now resolved and is much more zen and calm and able to look back on those decisions that he made and those decisions that he didn't let himself make um, because he was busy screwing up his own career. Uh, He talks very candidly about that. Uh, We talk about the future of podcasting. And also, uh, Dave is one of the writers on Marin, Mark Marin's show. You'll obviously be familiar. I'm sure all of you will be familiar with Mark Marin's WTF podcast. Um, And we talk about the writing of that show, which is, I think, of particular interest to comedians as it deals with the day-to-day minutiae of uh, of a comedian's life. And I, I, there's, there's an interesting conversation we have about how they determine, how they decide which elements of a comedian's life will be most resonant with an audience. Uh, we also talk about anger, uh, and we also talk about self-sabotage, um, and about... Uh, about the end of the road that that Dave came to before he was able to hit rock bottom creatively to realise the mistakes he was making and to to pick himself back up from them. Uh, Dave also does some other podcast projects, uh, which you will hear about. I'm a big fan of the dollop that he does with Gareth Reynolds, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, But there's some really interesting stuff here about how Dave is one of the very few people who, uh, as an American act, uh, one of the very few Americans who actually tries to write a thematic show and has an interest in doing that. There's a, there's a real uh, change in the dynamic between American and between UK acts, uh, where I think largely because of the Edinburgh Festival, and I, I saw this conversation being had on uh, a, a Facebook forum of comedians recently about why it is exactly that uh, UK comedians feel the need or are inspired to uh, write thematic shows, whereas Americans just want to go out and go, this is my funniest stuff, this is me killing. Uh, and we'll look into, we'll talk about uh, why Dave is starting to come more towards a, a UK-ish model. Um, so all of that to come, this is Dave Anthony. Dave Anthony, <laughs> pronounce your name properly. Um, we're here in LA where uh, I have just been visiting your fabulous festival. Thanks yeah. for the festival. It's crazy, yeah. It's crazy. You're um, you're one of uh, four people who have put together this. You've been in from the beginning, all four of you? Yeah, I, I'm the one who thought it up. And uh, I got together with Chris and Graham, who do the Comedy Film Nerds podcast, because they're like workhorse guys. And, mm-hmm. I, and so I was like, well, those two guys would be good to do this with. Yeah. And uh, and then we brought in Andy, who runs the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, to organ to be the organizer. Okay. So it's the four of us. Okay. Yeah. And this we've just had the fourth year. Yeah, that was the fourth year. That was the first year it like popped. 
it felt poppy. What I've been saying to everyone is um, that uh, because it was the we had our final party at the same time as uh, the Emmys were on and all yeah. the after parties were on. Yeah. So if you went downstairs in the hotel, if you came in through the main yeah. entrance, there would be podcast festival signs and people in tuxes. tuxes and I was like, yeah. well, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> It, whoa, whoa, this chair, chair has just collapsed underneath went. me. That would have been an interesting moment in podcasting history. That's a uh, dead chair break. Chair. I'm, weirdly, I'm going to sit on it again. I don't I'm give it a shot. We'll see what happens. Stupid. Great. <laughs> a little bit of... Uh, it's very Ikea. It is. Do you have Ikea here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we have Ikea. Oh, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Forgive me. Let's get back on I, top. I sat on an Ikea chair just a couple of months ago and it broke. <laughs> well, it's a very respected brand in the UK. Let tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to push the dog off here. Okay. Because I'm leaning back on that. I sure. can feel it going again. Let's um, try it this way around. Okay. Right. There we go. A false start. And funnily enough, and I don't know if you find this, you, do you ever find yourself being about to take something out in the edit? And then you go, no, I'll leave that in. It's just yeah. human, isn't it? Yeah. It's actually one of the advantages of podcasting, isn't it? Totally. It's, it's actually just a... Yeah, I, there's stuff I'm like, um, I'm back and forth, and I'm like, you know what? If people get offended or upset or whatever, that's whatever. It's just a moment that you said something. I quite like that you could, I could leave that in. I mean, I, I mean it less in terms of saying oh, the just wrong anything? thing, but just like oh, the, just chair? the noise of me nearly falling off my chair. You know, no, that's a human moment. I think that's totally part of podcasting. It's the, it's the, the lack of the, the polishedness of, of radio that makes it endearing. Like little weird things happen. Someone pops in their, their head in the door. Like I did a podcast where uh, we were having a guy do work on our house and I was doing it in the garage and he popped his head in and was like, you know, I'll be here on Thursday yeah. at, at eight. Is that okay with you that early? And I was just like, yeah, and I just left it in. That is, there is something about that. It's endearing. Endearing is the right word, but it's also, I think, Okay, listen, there's loads I want to talk about. There's loads I want to talk about the podcast audience, the people who are into them, the festival, the way all that works. Before we get onto that, I want to establish you as a comic for uh-huh. people who will, maybe people listening in the UK who are less familiar with you. Yeah. Um, and as we said, the, our, our starting point shortly before I pressed record was that <laughs> we're cramming this one in last minute because I leave town yeah, in a few hours. I was hours. thinking of that on the way over. And I was thinking, oh, he's going to look for videos. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you started to say... Uh, it's pretty difficult to research me. Finish that thought. Okay, so uh, so for a long time, I, I just never made an album, and I never, I I I like um, comedy as an audio medium. Okay, and I'm not a big fan of it on television or watching videos. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, there's something about it when you. I feel like when you watch a video of a of a comedian doing stand up, it loses something that you can hear you lose little nuances of the voices and you lose little things. You can see the faces and maybe that works better, but there's something about the audio medium that I think makes it so much better. Is that to do with the edit as well? Because I know when you're listening, you can hear the audience laughing or not at a particular joke sure. in a way that when you see a DVD record, they can you just don't. paste in generic laughs and yeah. you go, is that the right? Like I'm more and more, I'm listening now to the mm. audience and going, Oh, I just heard the edit point. They're not laughing at that bit. Right. And so for me, that's always taken away from it. And I generally, when a comic friend of mine puts out a, puts out a special, I will wait until the album comes out and I'll listen to the album. Yeah. Especially a lot of these guys are putting stuff on comedy central, like Kyle Kinane and, Kamal and Johnny, and the the they're different edits. The album and the and the, is that right? Yeah, and the and the, that's what I was told by one of them that it's a different edit on TV than on the album. 
Why so, is that? Do you have any idea why that is? Is it know. to do with the laughs or probably, yeah, or to speed it up a little bit, you know, to make it to make it seem they want stuff to move faster on TV, you know, more laughs, more laughs, more laughs. Yes. So I find stand up hard to watch on TV. It's just a guy walking back and forth. All you yeah. need is the audio. I don't I don't yeah, I would rather turn on an album and walk around my house and do stuff. Yeah. Then sit there and watch it on television. And occasionally... Isn't that appalling <clears throat> of us, given that we're insisting people buy money to see us walk around? <laughs> I guess it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not one of you. I'm not going to sit in the audience and watch. God, I'm going to get on with stuff. But I don't know why, and I've had this conversation with a lot of people because they don't understand why I don't put videos up, but I just don't... I, I, I don't think you get the same experience. I think it's more of a live experience when you listen to it than it is watching it on video. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels more the authentic way stand-up is supposed to be. Okay. It might be also because I grew up listening to stand-up albums, you know? And that I, I didn't, we didn't watch it on TV. I sat there next to my record player listening to Pryor and all those guys. Yeah. So maybe that's my own thing, you know? Yes, I think, and lots of people of our kind of generation, our, yours and my generations, are we the same? We're, right, we're about, I'm probably... My, are you, 40-something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was a very LA answer. Yeah, I'll accept that. <laughs> Let's go with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I wonder if newer comics now, they are going to receive it totally differently. They're going to be. The newer comics are on such the other end that they will do their first set and put it up for the world to see. Yeah. Like they just don't care. There's no quality control. Yes. And we won't know the long term ramifications of doing that for another 10 or 20 or 30 years. I can tell you, I would be horrified if my first. Four years were up. Yeah. I mean, actually, I did a TV show um, on my second year of doing stand-up. Okay. I did a thing because that's when everyone was doing TV shows, and I, I did that. I, it's gone. I don't know where it is, but it might pop up someday, and I would just be horrified, number one, because of my hairstyle, but also because of the jokes. <laughs> haven't, I think Montreal, the Just for Last Festival, has just started. I think I saw something in the uh, news recently. They've just started like releasing 30-year-old oh, really? less videos. You know, That's interesting. Which they obviously own and presumably have a signature fading on a piece of paper somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure I signed something when I went up there. So I I started to to dig in. I had, like I said, a very small amount of time cramming in lots of uh, 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 podcasts. So I I apologize for not having done the most research. But just within the last hour, I knew you previously as the guy, your podcast festival guy. You do a couple of podcasts. You do The Dollop with Gareth Reynolds, which I saw live, which is very, very funny. Thank you. And you do Walk in the Room. room That one's kind of done, but we'll do special live Okay, and that's been, that has has or had a huge following and enabled you to tour with that. And that's, you know, that's like a a really good example of, oh, podcasting worked for these guys. Podcasting, I think I'm I'm a, a great example of podcasting turning someone's career around. Well, this is it, because the little bit of uh, research that I did, this idea of turning your career around, you weren't where you wanted to be. Oh, yeah, As a no, comic. Like, I, I looked done. into a bit and I went, oh, oh, shit, Dave's like the guy that got, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, the guy that got fired from the Comedians of Comedy tour yeah. originally, where, yeah. like, that could have, that's like getting kicked out of the Beatles, is it? In terms of, <laughs> in terms of old comedy? yeah. And, you know, you're, so you're like, and the more I, I just kind of read this one article, I went, oh, wow. He's oh, you not, read the angry article? Uh, it wasn't something that you'd written. It was about. Yeah, you. it was about my anger issues. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I kind of went from going, hey, smiley podcast guy. I've just been chatting to him <laughs> first one. Oh, shit, I've got, oh, this is, this is Dave Anthony with a capital D and a capital A. You're the angry guy that fucked up his career. Is yeah, that right? Totally. 100%. 
So what can we now? This is this is difficult because obviously you've talked about that in the past. There's yeah. articles and stuff about it, and I'm very new to it. Um, but that's you know that's you've you've heard this show before. That's what yeah. we like to talk about. Yeah. How did you? How and why did you fuck yourself up? I mean, I mean the 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 thing it all boiled down to after years of therapy and all that stuff was my dad. So my dad, alcoholic, terrible relationship. Uh, so what he would do was he would never told me that he thought I was good at stand up or that I had made a good choice or he liked what I was doing. Yeah. But then he would take my like if I did that TV show when I did that TV show, he would get a tape of it and he would show it to everybody he knew. So he never said anything directly to me. Did you know he was doing that? Yes. He was showing it to people. Okay. Yes, because I'd go to my family's house and my uncle would be like, I saw your thing. Your dad showed him. Okay. But he would never say a word to me about okay. stand up. So I just had this self-loathing, but also now I was like, oh my God, a way to destroy him is to sabotage my own career. Now that's the unconscious, deep down therapy uh, thing see, that you get I see, to. I see. Okay. So all the stuff I'm doing, I'm hurting him by destroying me. It's a really f- fucked up and crazy. Let's, let's just stay with that. It is, but it is <laughs> fucked up and crazy, but that's people. Let's stay with that for a second because like I know, I, and it just came up in conversation that I was having this morning with Anastasia Travers, a comic mm-hmm. here in LA that I'm, I'm crashing with at the moment. Um, and just chatting about families and stuff, I uh, talked to that. I've mentioned once, maybe I think before on my show, that um, a lot of my anxiety turned out to boil down to uh, this car crash I had when I was a kid and I thought my family were going to die. And yeah. so a lot, of, a lot of my issues are, don't leave me, no one leave me, I don't yes. want to be on my own. And it took me years to get there, years. Yeah. Like, not, not like solid, uh, strokey beard, couch therapy for years, but on and off, here and there, different conversations. I've been working with a therapist for the last three or four years, yeah. and only a year ago did I go, oh, God, I think it really is all about that. Yeah. And it resonates. How much digging did you have to do till I mean, you went, it's the dad thing? Years. I mean, 15 years maybe? The, the interesting thing about it is, is I was always trying to do material about my dad on stage for all since, since I started comedy or about my life in that, you know, th- that was affected by that. And the audience was always scared. I used to scare audiences. Oh, my God. Okay. And, uh, and so I could never do it. So I'd always have to talk about other stuff that wasn't really me. Because you're, you were too obviously connected to it, Way do you too think? connected to it. They could, they could sense that something was really off. Okay, and and th- I was tapping into something because I my anger is the kind of anger where you know you you meet a guy and you're talking to him and all of a sudden he is screaming about Jennifer Lopez and you're like what just happened we were just having a conversation yeah. about music yeah and because that guy's not mad at Jennifer Lopez sure. he's mad at something else so I was that guy where I would just tap into something like this volcano of anger. And so, was that? And that was cr- it. Was creative anger? You were getting stuff out of it. I you mean, getting angry at other things that weren't. Your I dad. would, but just in life, I would get angry at other things. I never did angry comedy on stage, which okay. is the interesting thing. Okay, because I, I always look at. I think when I see angry comics, I immediately go, "That's bullshit." Because <laughs> you're a genuine angry guy yeah, walking around I, going, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. just this sort of silently crushing a table leg <laughs> as you're watching the thing. Okay, yeah. So whenever I see an angry comic, I'm like, "Yeah, it's such horseshit. You're not angry." Um, so. So for me, and real, when you see a person with real anger, they can't, they can't, they have no control over it. Yeah, it just comes out. So when I would go on stage and talk about my dad, it would just, it would just get too much for the audience, and it would freak them out. And it took me years of therapy, and I went to Al-Anon, which is like a twelve-step thing for people who, um, who live with alcoholics or grew up with alcoholics. Okay, 
So it's like this offshoot thing okay, where you yep. sit around and you go, oh, we're all fucked up because of that. Yes. Um, and uh, and sort of just how to maintain and, and keep yourself together and, and all that stuff. So between those two things, it, I, and, and then changing my comedy style from joke telling to storytelling, uh-huh. they all kind of merged where I could start getting really personal and not freaking out the audience. Okay. And there was a point where I just, when I realized that I was sabotaging myself because of my dad to get back at him, where it just kind of all went, Oh, I got it. And then my kid was born. And then that was like the last sort of thing where I went, yeah, this doesn't matter. My thing with him doesn't matter. Okay. Now it's, I got, I have a kid. I'm going to do this the right way with him. Okay. And, and for some reason, Having a kid was really the last thing of like, it just, the th- shit with my dad just doesn't matter. Yes. You're, I think of it like, um, <laughs> the, two th- the two ways I think of it kind of interlinked, I think of it like a game of chess and also Breaking Bad because the character of, uh, <laughs> uh, of uh, Walt in, uh, uh, in Breaking Bad, he, the way he wins situations is by changing the stakes, like a game of chess. Yeah. Like you go, I am here with a gun and with, with, with no gun, no nothing, someone's about to kill me, but I've worked out a way to actually change what that person cares about. Right. And I think with therapy, that's a similar sort of thing, like yeah. with chess. This, this battle that you were going to lose doesn't matter because actually you've changed the stakes somewhere else. Yes. So that's, like, yeah. there's something similar maybe where you've gone, oh, actually the, the change, the paradigm shift of like, oh, what am I, what am I worrying about? Yeah, exactly. What am I worrying about? So when you were at your worst, kind of angry-wise, and this isn't on you, I mean, were you losing it on stage? Were you getting angry on stage? Or were that, you coming off stage and punching promoters? And Yeah, no, it would be more off stage stuff. Um, on stage, I was okay. I mean, I never, I was never going to reach my potential the way I was. But I, I could work, and I was a okay. solid stand-up. Um, <laughs> that, it's such a, it's such a, a, a millstone around your neck. This guy, he's a safe pair of hands. <laughs> oh, great! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's very strange. But there was also something deep in me that knew something that something was wrong with my stand-up. Like I wasn't because of whatever this thing was. I wasn't okay. getting to where I needed to go. So it, there was always like a, this isn't, my standups isn't right. It, it needs to be better. Now I'm very comfortable with it and I'm very happy with where I am as a standup. I, I think a lot of the time the process of becoming a standup or becoming an interesting standup or finding your voice, whatever you want to call it, the, yeah. the self, I nearly said actualization. I did, I mean, I've, been I've been here for a week, it's been too long. But the, the process by which you become the, the finished article. You know? Yes. Um, it's a process of removing obstacles. Yes. And I do think with myself, with maybe with you, with a lot of other comics we know, when there is something that gets in the way, you can't do any actual real learning on stage. Right. You can't go, how do I actually feel about matchbooks or whatever the thing yeah. is? Because I, I, there's, a, there's a place I'm unwilling to go yeah. that you don't even know. Totally. What, yeah, 100%. You have no idea. I, you know, when I always think of this, you know, you have these, I don't know if this happens to you with your memory, but I have these snapshots of something like I can remember this like moment of some guy saying something and it's just so vivid in my memory. So mm. I'm starting out in stand up. I'm like two or three years in and a comic I really respected at the time named Mike, named Mike Meehan, who eventually dropped out, was a really offbeat, funny comedian. I sit down to him at the back of a club after doing a set. It's one of my first sets at that club in, in San Francisco. And I sit next to him on a stool and he goes, uh, he goes, you, he goes, you, you're enjoying stand-up? I go, yeah, it's, it's awesome. He goes, get ready. You're going to really get to know yourself. Okay. And that, that now, at this age, I'm like, man, that is the best advice you can tell a comedian. <laughs> 
Get ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because, I mean, there must be types of comedy where people don't need to get to know themselves. Yeah, Are there? And, oh, yeah. And I find it very dishonest. I think there are, there are joke tellers who it's really easy to hide, to hide behind your jokes and not reveal yourself. Because yeah. I think that's what I did for a long time. I just tell jokes so you're able to make the, the audience laugh and without completely re- revealing who you are or really at all revealing who you are. Mm-hmm. You're just telling jokes. You could be writing them down on you know Twitter or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I always look at that. But then there are some stand-ups, like you take a Dave Attell who just tell jokes, but you also get completely who Dave Attell is. Yeah. But, there, but jokes are a way to hide behind who you are. I feel that it's absolutely where I'm at in the moment is, is kind of going, oh, I, I've been trying to do that for a long time. Like yeah. Over the last few years, I've been having this kind of, you know, it's always a series of, oh, this epiphany and that revelation and everything, yeah. that's, which is good because we're artists and that's what right. we should be experiencing. But um, I'm certainly finding that I have been doing exactly that. Of kind of, If I can write a good enough thing that definitely works every time that's in my back pocket, yeah. then I'll be safe. Right. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Then right. I'll be okay yeah. when I'm out there and they're looking at me and I'll, I'll have a thing to say. Yeah. And that's kind of the enemy, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, there were so many times before I the, changed. The, the, the enemy that makes you confident and well-paid and happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, to, yes. On, on a surface level. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. We can't tell how many times when I was just doing jokes, I would go up on stage and I would kill and I walk off stage just completely unsatisfied. Yeah. Like there, like there's more to it. Especially as you get older, you, you, you can do that. You can go up and kill, but is that enough for you? Yeah. It's not for me. I want I want people to take something away that's a little more than just laughing. Because don't people remember you more that way? Don't you tap into the human experience that way? Like if you just tell jokes that's one thing, but if you go and you go up like my show at at Melbourne was um about my dad and my anger issues and it just went from when I was a kid all the way to now and how it's all, you know, the the journey through that. And and people were coming up to me sometimes in tears and saying, my God, that's what my life was. And that's so much more rewarding than someone going, man, that was hilarious because they were laughing the whole time. Yeah. But th- I tapped into something. And the people who were laughing, they're going to go, that was hilarious. You know, the, 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 right. that was hilarious people. They're not going to remember you necessarily. Not or as much. You know, I think they, they'll go I, the third guy. I saw guy. a comedian last night. Yeah. The third the guy. guy yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're the third guy. But if they, if they, if they, if you tap into something, they go, what's that guy's name? I don't know that guy's name. So this is Dave. Uh, a really interesting uh, presence, Dave is. He's uh, he's very he he really crackles with a kind of an energy that uh, that is very unusual, and that I think probably is born of being a post anger person. <laughs> I think there's a there's something I'm not very I don't have a lot of uh, experience with anger. Not I don't just mean in my guests, but in my own life, it's not something I connect to. I'm much more someone who will try and divert things or blame myself. I think if I do experience anger, I often turn it inwards uh, and uh, and certainly try to kind of well, not even just keep a rein on it. I don't, I don't think that's even something that I, I consciously do. Yes, I, I get frustrated uh, with a lot of things, but it's normally with myself. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm a subscriber to that whole, if you're angry, you're angry with yourself. Yeah, as if that's going to relax anyone. Um, but uh, so very interesting to be in Dave's presence, to see someone who's come through the other side of that and who is now thankfully much, uh, much happier uh, and much more satisfied with his lot and working to uh, create a future for himself 
uh, within podcasting, within comedy, uh, rather than blaming other people or blaming, uh, as he says, uh, experiencing lots of anger uh, with his dad. Uh, I, I always think it's, it's interesting when people come through something like that and can look back on it and reflect. Uh, lots of other great stuff to come. There's some lovely stuff about uh, lovely, lovely Will Anderson uh, and the difference between the UK and American style of shows and uh, and how uh, Dave worked on Mark Maron's TV show, was one of the writers for that. Uh, and the I, I think I put to him later on in this show about how we talk about gatekeepers. I don't want to give away exactly um, what we talk about, but I think I challenge him on something quite interesting about where the gatekeepers are going and whether or not new ones are emerging and who they are and, and whether they are in fact him <laughs> it's an interesting thing so uh, that's all coming up soon um thank you for listening thank you for your donations i, I won't read out any more names just now because uh, i'm in in the hurry to get these uh, la episodes released uh, i'm doing a lot of these blurbs in one go so i've uh, i've already done all the uh, all the donors names for today um, but you of course won't necessarily be listening to these in one go so i'll just reiterate my my usual call to arms my call to action if you're enjoying this show uh, and you like the fact that currently, at least, I make no promises, but currently there are no advertisers. Uh, it's just me doing my thing, recording the blurbs in uh, in my girlfriend's place in Bristol today, looking out the window at the beautiful view uh, and the uh, the slightly grey sky, it has to be said. <laughs> but it's uh, it's nice and domestic for me today. Um, but if you fancy donating to the show, wherever you are, wherever you're listening to it, if you're driving or running or bathing or whatever horrible little secretive things you do uh if you're enjoying it the next time you're at a computer why not remember to yourself why not think oh yeah the comedian's comedian podcast that makes a difference to my life that cheers me up when i'm down that uh helps me out when i'm creatively blocked why don't i chuck stew a little something something uh knowing that you could do that via uh regular recurring monthly donations via paypal or moon clerk uh, those systems all available at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. Uh, or if you'd like to make a one-off donation and join the ranks of people who have done that, uh, then that's great. A little thing on my phone beeps and tells me when you've uh, chucked some money at me from wherever you are in the world. And that is a very satisfying experience, uh, particularly if I'm doing an administrative day or driving back from a gig myself or shoveling cement, as I was doing yesterday, with my poor little broken thumb. Update on my thumb, by the way. I've been complaining to everyone I know about this. You may know that I uh, I thought I'd broken my thumb at the beginning of the Edinburgh Festival. I then went and had it x-rayed and the hospital in Edinburgh said, no, we don't think it's broken. And then they rang me three weeks ago and said, we've made a mistake. It turns out it is broken. So now I've had it x-rayed and the radiographer said, uh, oh, it's a fracture, all right, and not a little one. So uh, I'm pleased to report that on Monday of next week, I shall be going to see a fracture specialist uh, and hopefully getting my thumb working properly again. I need it. I use it for lots of things, all of them above board. Um, but uh, yeah, so just in case you considered me a whinger, if you bumped into me at the Edinburgh Festival or since, if you've shaken my hand in particular with a great deal of force uh, and I've winced, it's not because I'm some sort of soft guy. No, I'm a tough guy. I'm a particularly brave soldier because I've been walking around with a broken thumb for two months without even knowing. I mean, we're getting off the point here, but... Uh, if if my thumb prevents me from going out and working, it's my mic hand. What I was telling people, I think, over Edinburgh, I was trying to spread the room that people would go, how did you break your thumb? And I go, I was just rocking the mic so hard. <laughs> I was just killing, I was destroying the gig so hard, my thumb broke. Um, but uh, should it become more problematic in future, hey, maybe uh, maybe you can, uh, you can help me out with a cash donation via all the usual methods uh, that will keep me... I mean, this is the worst bottling speech I think I've ever done. <laughs> I'm delirious from the pain of my thumb. 
Um, but uh, thank you. Thank you for all those donations you've been making. Uh, thanks to Dave for coming on the show. Uh, let's get back to him now. Let's uh, let's not faff. And uh, I was told, <laughs> I was told by my fiance that every time I say, right, we'll get back to it. That's the cue for me to blether on for two minutes. So I've, I've been told off. So let's get straight back to it. This is Dave Anthony. <laughs> Yeah, so I just, I realized I had to be creative in some way, and um, I saw people, and so I basically stopped stand-up, and I saw people, I let's say, I don't respect that much as being that funny, having success with podcasts, and I was like, what is, what is this? Immediately name all of these people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, people, and that's interesting, that ties in with the, the theory, isn't it? Like, people that you didn't respect as stand-ups, having success with podcasts, yeah. finding a different way to do it, yeah. and maybe is enabling them to be what they did, what it right. is that they want to have do. some sort of career. So I, I was like, okay, I'll try this. I'm going to try it alone. And I got into, I went into my closet and I, cause that's the best place for sound. And I started just taping this thing. I think I did two or three episodes and then I was like, well, this is just weird. I'm just talking. I, the guys who can do it alone, like Bill Burr or Greg Proops, you know, I just find that amazing. Uh, so then I stopped and I, and Greg Barrett was a, uh, old friend and we had had at the beginning of the dot com boom, we had had a internet radio show together when like no one had broadband, so no one could really listen. <laughs> but they were paying us all this money to do internet radio, so I was like, "Why don't we just try and do that again?" So I called him up, and he said, "Yeah." And so I was at a point where my career was just done, as far as yeah. I was concerned. And and he and no one who I was, and he had been a star uh, and gotten this talk show and done this book, which had killed his stand-up career i hung out with greg the other night for maybe an hour before he casually mentioned in passing like as you know not boasting about it but he just it just came up that he'd written he's just not that into yeah it. i was like i think there's like a movie of that on the yeah. side of a bus like that's an incredibly famous thing i didn't even know yeah. it was you yeah it was so he and, yeah. and but he'd got stuck with it hadn't he, he he'd got found stuck himself with it. being that guy rather than being he, a comic yeah so then he lost his stand-up audience and he's a really good stand-up mm. so i was like why don't we start a podcast and we'll talk about how what you never hear from people in show business, and that's it didn't work out. Yeah. It didn't go. We're the two guys that it didn't work out for. And so that's just what we started talking about, how our career was in the shitter. And as that happened, we tapped into a thing because America was in its recession, and all these people were really like unhappy with their lives. Yeah. And they wanted yeah, to do something didn't more. Work out either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we told people, and there a lot of them wanted to be creative. And we were like, just be creative on the side, follow that dream and do that. And so we, we started a whole thing where we tried to get people doing their art at the same time as living their lives and trying to get through the recession. And so we tapped into something there. You tried to get what you were saying to your audience, draw us a picture. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. You know what yeah. I mean? You're kind of like getting people. Yeah. And this is so funny because that's just one of the ways where like, since I've been in, in LA, I've been Ubering everywhere. I've been Uber calling. Uh -huh. And the Uber drivers in London that I know are kind of like uh, unlicensed uh, cab drivers. Right. The Uber drivers over here are people who are doing like Airbnb. Totally. Like I'm airbnb in a room in my house. Yeah. If I need some money, I turn on the app and drive some people around. Yeah. And then I go and record a podcast. Where I, you know, <laughs> like totally. Oh, we've completely democratized all of the things. Yes. For, well, democratized. For, the, for those that are uh, rich enough to afford broadband and a roof over there. Uh, yeah, right. Can't, yeah, right. So... When you were dis when you were rediscovering yourself, wh at what point did you start gigging again? At what point did you start doing stand up again? And so describe the the difference between your act then and now post right. post voice change. So I the one thing I um, one thing I that came out of the podcast was that um, 
I'm I'm good in that. I'm able to be funny in that that arena pretty well in a conversational way yes. that, that never translated to my stand up ever. Mostly because I was doing jokes. And then we people because we had this big fan base now, or you know, relatively big. Um, but our fan base was very um, cultish and loyal, so they mm-hmm. would go where we we did our we did a live podcast, and people came from all over the world, flew in from all over the country just to L.A. to see see it. So they were like, where, "What's your stand up? Do some stand up." Mm-hmm. And and they they really pushed me as as I'm pushing them to go out and do your art. I am being pushed to go out and do my art. So I just started trying to do it again, and I. And I also, with my son being born, I was like, well, this would suck if he, if I died and he went back to look at what I had done yeah. and it was give up. Yeah. Right. And, and I never had put out an album. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put out an album just so there's something of record okay. that my kid can go back to. And then also people were wanting it. So I started to work on it. And then when I started to work on it, the jokes were just not the way I wanted to go. And so I just started talking about what I wanted to talk about. Yes. And, and then I became a storyteller. I was going to, I think I confidently predicted that, that you go, oh, the podcast audience wants me to do a set, dig out the old set, it's turned to ashes in your mouth. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, no, it was just like, this is just, and also it's not as rewarding when you, when you go on a podcast and people know you and you feel that thing where you're making people laugh in, in a conversational way or telling a story because we told a lot of stories and then you try to tell jokes, it just doesn't feel right because you know organic, organically what you're doing on the podcast is more closer to what you should mm. be as, mm. as a comedian. So these, these, we, would always, we would always try to have three stories, what happened to you this week, and try to dig some comedy out of it. And so I was like, I got to do that. On, that's the thing I have to do on stage. And so that slowly transitioned into, I think my last album is sort of, well, my first album, last first, it's sort of halfway in between what I've now become, but it's pretty close. Like I, okay. it's all chunks and stories about my life, and then and then the one that I'll put out from the the Melbourne uh, Festival, which hopefully I'll have it out soon, Hothead, is just a story about my life with you know broken down into little pieces, but they're all stories. So the the shapes the different sorts of. Uh dynamic that one has with an audience like there's you on stage telling jokes well yeah. you or whoever there's a comic on stage telling stories like written stuff and then there's a comic on stage doing crowd work or improvising yeah and then there's a comic on stage having a conversation with another person with a funny friend of theirs yeah and, and that relationship with the audience it seems i don't know quite what my question is but i certainly noticed over the course of the festival I got really into it. And it was like each show just had, just for, for people who didn't come to the festival, the LA Podfest had, I don't know, how many, how many podcasts did you have in town? Like 30? I think we had 30. Something like that. And everyone sure. just does their show once. Yeah. Their live show once. And then maybe they've got more than one podcast, more than one show. Yeah. I saw so many of those. And a lot of them I flitted. They'd be like a two-hour mm-hmm. section, three shows on simultaneously. And I'd, I'd stop in. I'd watch 20 hours, yeah. half an hour. I did that now. And then on the Sunday night when we did the, when you guys did the, um, uh, the stand-up lineup. Uh-huh. I have to admit, great though all the comics were, part of me kind of went, stand-up. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. Because I'd been seeing this incredibly live, yeah. fresh, unrehearsed, unstaging, yep. 
relationships being built in real time with people in and obviously let's <coughs> let's be yeah. fair each one of them was performing to a room that was wall-to-wall fans yes so you know it wasn't just like yeah here's us having a chat in in you know some but fuck nowhere gig on a wednesday night you know it right, wasn't that it right. was like this is a special thing but i did i did kind of go i mean i love i've loved stand-up comedy for 25 years plus yeah. you know i love it but a part of me kind of went oh here's a guy telling us what he thinks uh-huh you know yeah. It's different, right? It is different. It's really changed. <clears throat> when you're a podcast fan, it's it really changes what you see and want out of stand-up. Yes. Right? I was talking to Proops about this about three years ago. He yes. came on my show in Edinburgh, and we were talking, but that was my first inkling of like, oh, hang on a minute. Be- and particularly because his podcast is just him talking. Right. It's not like chatty and conversational. Right. But it is, he's a really good example of something. It's a nice, thin line yeah. between him in a room recording and him on stage doing his act. And he his likes, act is very poddy and his pod is very acty. And he, but he likes the podcast more. Yes. Yeah. So is, is, is that the only way, is what Proops does, is that the only way to synthesize the kind of aliveness of the podcast and a set? Like, where's next? What do we do? What does comedy I'm, turn into when everyone's learned this lesson? I know. When people are listening to this in 10 years going, yeah, Goldsmith only worked it out three years in or whatever. <laughs> you know, whatever it becomes. What is that in your mind? What do well, you think there, well, there be? is part of me that thinks that joke joke telling is going to become sort of um, like old comedy. Of course. Because <laughs> we look back on old comedy like, oh, those guys were so unsophisticated. Yeah. And people in the future are going to think something similar about us, maybe. That's what I think. I think that joke telling is going to be like, yeah. Yeah, well done. You combined two things in a way that was surprising yet satisfying. <laughs> the, I mean, no, no matter what happens, there's and, and it's like the guys who go up and just do crowd work. Like I did that for a couple of years. So I just did crowd work. And there's something in the moment that's amazing about it. But it's but it's sort of the same thing that happens when you're doing a conversation in a podcast. It's just you're, when you're watching someone come up with something yes. for the first time and knowing that it's not written and that it's really funny, for whatever reason, audiences just love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's- you're seeing something unique, right? So it's ju- it just taps into something. I don't know what it is, but it does tap into something. I interviewed Tommy Tiernan recently. The uh-huh. episode just went up. And he has been, we were at Edinburgh, uh, the festival, and he has been improvising an hour of stand-up every night. And it's That's not- interesting. That's what Will Anderson does. Yeah. 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 Um, Will, I, th- I think they do it differently. I feel like Will is riffing together an hour. Yeah. And I think what Tommy is, uh, has been doing is very specifically, he's, I mean, this is, is my own description. I've said it a few times on the show. I'm obviously very proud of it. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's uh, he, like, he's trying to improvise a novel. Do you know what I mean? He's not uh-huh. riffing to come up with ideas. He's up there going, what is a man? Do you uh-huh. know what I mean? And you're like, whoa, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I wonder, I, why did I bring that up? Because, because I, I suppose there is, like, whatever he comes up with on that night, he has no plans. He's not putting together a, a new show. By riffing. Right. He's doing it as an end in itself. That's interesting. And that's kind of like, maybe that's a little bit closer to what we're talking about. Yeah. Because, but you, you, I mean, maybe someone should do that. We're going to do 10 live podcasts and then the 10th one is going to be the best bits of all the uh-huh. last nine that we're going to try and recreate. Yeah. It's going to be, I mean, maybe someone yeah. can pull that off, but it sounds like, no, that'd be stale and awful. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Uh, you know, I, and so, so my, the next show I want to do is about the guns but not 
you hear people doing the like the Jim Jeffries. Have you seen the gun the gun bit that Jim Jeffries did? Uh, yeah, I've seen him do a few bits. Which, which he did it one on his recent special, okay, which people in America have shown. But it's pretty, but pretty much. I mean, you have to be an outsider to look at this country to see how crazy it is. Yeah. Um, but I want to do it. I want to do a show about how guns affect us personally. Okay. Because you hear, you just hear like, well, this person was shot or this person was shot. But you you don't hear like the ripple effect or what it's like to be in a restaurant when a guy comes in with his hands in his pockets or yeah, just right. little weird just little weird things that's of really how nice it affects your life, your daily life. Like we just had a thing where... Sorry, listen to me. That's a really nice angle. I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, that's an interesting thing I've not thought about before that I imagine would be feckin' for comedy. Yeah, sorry, do go on. Yeah, because I, I talked about it on the podcast. I think I actually talked about it on Tofop. Um, I, I went, I was in a in a Seattle restaurant with my wife and my kid, and a, and a guy came in, and he looked a little off, and he had his hands in his pocket, and he had like a sweatsuit on, and he, he was arguing with the, the host a little bit, and I was like, fuck this guy could easily have a gun and you don't have that. You would never think that in any other country, but in America, a guy comes in with his hand in his pocket and he's, and he's acting aggressive. You're like, we could be in the middle of a shootout. Yeah. So that, that I think that's an interesting, cause I, I don't look at my audience is a lot in Australia now, so I can look at it from explaining my life and what it's like here to people outside of this world. And hopefully that also translates to Americans, but but yeah, so that's where I'm going, and we just had a shooting near my near my. It, and it's, the ripple effect has affected my kid. Um, we yeah. had a, 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 a husband shot his wife and then killed himself, and had a six year old kid. That six year old kid is best friends with one of my son's best friends. So it's this ripple oh effect. Of all, so now you have all these kids thinking their parents can go away. Oh my! So it's this whole God. thing, but. Yeah, yeah. But that's that, that's the sort of thing that's taken for granted in the news. Like no one ever bothers to say, and this has affected the community in some specific large. ways. Yeah, yeah. They just kind of go, "This guy's dead. This is awful. Aren't guns bad?" Right. But you would you think that a kid, two kids removed, doesn't even go to the same school, yeah. is asking his parents what happened, and yeah. is daddy going to do that? And sure. like, yeah, it's really, uh, it's really sort of fascinating. So. Just before we kind of move off the, uh, the the podcasting angle, this is something I was I, I was talking to Jimmy Pardo yesterday, and you just mentioned Tofop. who is a guy who was on the fringe and and always one of the funniest guys around and couldn't yeah. get anything going. Yeah, and started his podcast and off he went. He's the perfect example of what we were talking about earlier. Yes, yeah, absolutely, and it's kind of yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. But so I was chatting to Jimmy about this point yesterday and you've just mentioned TOFOP and later on today I'm interviewing Todd Glass. Is uh-huh. there, there is, there's obviously a community of yeah. podcasting comics and the festival is celebrating that, of course. That's yeah. great. And we've just, you know, we're both in podcast mode. We both make either a show or a number of shows. You and I have both got a lot of pod related stuff going on. In our yeah. Lives. So I, I don't mean to suggest that this is, this is symptomatic of everyone in comedy in either the UK or the US, but... It, with the people that podcast, is there a danger of it all becoming this big WAV file circle jerk where we all yes. go on each other's shows and tell the same stories? Yeah, sort of. I, but here's the thing. And the reason I retweeted you a long time ago was because I think you do something a little bit different. Like most comics just go on and, bull, and they have a bullshit festival on their sure. podcast. And I think that that is going to become very like, well, okay, I've heard that. I've heard that yes. a lot. Especially in a place like LA where then it's just the same comics going on the same shows and doing the same things. Um, so yeah, I think that isn't dangerous. That's why I started my new podcasts and, and ended walking the room mainly was because 
that's what we were doing mostly. Yeah. We're just sitting there talking to each other. And now the new one is structure and form and a story. Yes. And yeah, takes let's a lot just, of time. Well, let's just describe that for a moment because I that was great fun to watch. You did oh, so the, the dollop is uh, you reading a piece of American history. Yeah. That you've Obs- written obscure, yourself. Obscure, hopefully. Well, yeah, I cobbled together from a bunch of different sources. And, and okay, tried but you to actually find... do the work. You, you I produce do the, work. the piece of writing. Yeah. And then Gareth Reynolds and a guest. Is that usually, just live? Uh, live, usually just live, it's a guest. Uh, usually, it's just Gareth. He just reacts to it. He, he just reacts to it. And he's one of the funniest people on the planet. We were saying the other night, he's, uh, he, he's like, I think one of his amazing things is that he just constantly offers without grandstanding without yeah. taking over like he there's no sense that it's not like he's kind of um like an always on kind of person right he just he's just got something there you can always go what do you think and it's yeah something funny yeah, <laughs> yeah you know what I mean? and he also and he also stays within the story like some guys will will would sort of start riffing and doing the stuff and then would take it with outside the story but but you have to take if you keep it within the story and the yes. contents of the story yes, then I, it works that's a good point. He does actually think about what I've, I saw him do Tofop as well. And he's very good at like, let's get more out of what we're dealing with yeah. now rather than get a laugh, panic and get out and get onto something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's the dollop. And um, you mentioned that you've got a big, I've heard a couple of people say this, the, the Australian audience from walking the room. Why, yeah. why Australia? Why was it? Why, why well, is that where it is? So that was interesting. So, um, so we were about 15 episodes into walking the room and someone tweeted, Hey, there's another podcast like you, but it's in Australia. Right. And then they tweeted the same thing to Will okay. doing Tofop with Charlie Clausen. And then I was like, well, I'll give that a listen. And I was like, oh, I like this. This yeah. is like us. I, I, this is great. And so I started listening. And then he started, he did the same thing. He started listening to us. And then when he, he and Charlie came here, Charlie was like coming for pilot season and Will was trying to break into America. And so he came here and he was like, well, do you want to do a podcast? So I went on theirs. And then we had them on ours, and then we just became friends. Okay. And um, and then and then so for me that that kicked walking the room up a level in Australia. Sure. People started listening to it, but then for me, Charlie had to leave uh, Tofop for a while, and so Will was like, "Well, Dave is a guy that I know well here in America," and so I started doing a ton of them. Okay. And it just boosted my profile. You know, okay, okay. I had I had no idea how big Will was when I started. Yeah, when that's I met the hilarious him, thing about Will. He's, I, he's like the most used example of someone who. He, oh, you realize he's enormous back home because yeah, like, he's, he's just he's like the the, it's just like the nicest. There's nothing about him that yeah. makes you think this guy's a giant star because he's the nicest, Absolutely. sweetest guy in the world. Absolutely. And I went down there to. We just went down there to, for uh, a festival to do to do um, a podcast. Just one walk in the room, and I was like. Oh, he's a giant star. Yes, you could like, completely I had no see idea. that. Like in terms of like, you could imagine a documentary or even a TV show where someone in America just befriends Will, hangs out with him for a year, yeah. and then you take them to like they and Will land in Sydney and yeah. the place explodes, and they go, "I mean, what? Who are you? What is it?" <laughs> I was walking out the street, and I was like, "Oh, oh, he's that. Oh, he's that yeah, guy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. They literally knew him for a year, had no absolutely no idea. Sure, and he doesn't have any of that kind of that shield that super mm, famous people have, nothing. where they're like. You know, they're, they're perfectly nice and, and uh, amenable off yeah. stage, but there is a, they know that they've just had years worth of people taking advantage and, you yeah. know, like going through their trash, so right. speaking, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. The world just doesn't seem to have that. It so, doesn't. So you've got, so you've got an audience in Australia and you're mm-hmm. able to, you're, you're able to tour there. As a yeah. So, so with the podcast, walking the room was, um, was, uh, the problem with it was that it, it was really inside. We had a lot, we made up a lot of, um, 
language. So if you listen to it episode 100, you'd be like, I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> um, and then we were too, way too dirty. We would, we would get dirty a lot. And it was one of the things I didn't like about it, but it, it would just always happen. So, um, so that, that podcast people couldn't tell their friends to listen to or yes. their family or anybody else. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to do with the dollop was to create a podcast that anybody could listen to. And, uh, and so that greatly expanded my audience down there because all of a sudden people were like, I would, I was getting tweets forever. People going, I can finally tell somebody about you. Yeah, great. Um, okay. But when my album came out down there, it was number one on iTunes um, and stuff just cause you know, that Will Anderson kicked up a notch audience. Yeah. And Will was also like, I think he saw, he saw that I had no, when he, when we met, I was, you know, I was at that place and he saw that I had no audience, but he also saw me do stand up, and he's like, well, you, you, he goes, you kind of already do a one man show. Cause I went up and talked about, um, the first time he saw me, I, I did 25 minutes and it was, it was basically one story, which dating no all the way through, does. right? No one yeah, does it. No one does. Well, I mean, now the, the UK audience and an Australian audience, uh, festival right. goers will be completely used to the idea yeah. of doing a show about your dad and your anger issues. Yeah. Whereas in uh, America, you never get asked the question, what's your show about? Right. There is no about. No, there is no it's about at all. It's stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just, for, for whatever reason had, had maybe because of the podcast, but I had just, I, I wanted to, to, to do a standup act that in America would appear like a regular standup act, but it was a big, long story. So at that point it was me starting dating and then going all the way through my wife and having a kid. And so that's what it was like 25 minutes. And he was like, well, that he goes, he goes, you get that. That's a, that's like a one man show. And I was like, mm. no, I didn't, I had never thought about it. Yeah. And at that point I had this thing against uh, we in America as standups have this, this arrogant attitude about how much better we are than um, than the shows in Edinburgh, and that okay. that that to us is is not me, uh, but this was me for a long time. We look at it and go, "Oh, so you write a new a new thing every year? It's not that good." Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Doesn't that, get, that, it doesn't get a lot of laughs. Sure, it's kind of weak. And oh, I could you, do that. Yeah, it's it's maybe a good twenty padded out with twenty minutes of story and yeah. twenty minutes of nothing. Yeah, which yeah. is horseshit. But my response to that: Well, go fucking try it. Yeah, give it a shot. Because I've actually had arguments with comics about it since. Well, they're just like, it's just so weak. And I'm like, why don't you listen to the, the my one-man show and tell me it's weak? Yeah. Because it's really hard. And so and so at some point, I was like, that's a challenge that I want. After for years being like, that's garbage, I, I went down there and watched, watched some shows. And I was like, okay, that's a thing. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the next level of stand-up for me. You seem to be someone who, having um, having maybe missed out or c- kind of caused yourself to miss out yeah. on, like you know, you will you have contemporaries who are massive stars. Yes. I guess people you started with. I mean, yeah. You know, that's a the bunch. story. That's the story of everyone's <laughs> life, but maybe more so yeah, for you. Okay, you know? yeah. <laughs> um, and you you've done the therapy. You've had a kid. You've had a resurgence through podcasting. You're excited about the art again. You're excited about the art of stand up, the storytelling yeah. idea. You've got a thing you can kind of plant your flag in and go. Ah, this, this, this thing. Right. I'm not bitter. Right. Are there moments when you feel the old you coming back? Have you got to watch out? No. Ah, that's great. (laughs) Terrible for the podcast, but brilliant for your life. (laughs) That's great. Why not? How, how come it's so comprehensively done? Are you still in therapy or are you like, I've done it. I've learned what I need to learn. 
Um, I'm not, I, I'm no, I'm not in therapy therapy currently. I do, I do read a lot of, um, Buddhism books, which keep me in check. You know, I, I really believe in that philosophy. Do you still lose your temper? Um, not as much. I did during the podcast festival did you? once. Yep. I did. Um, Oh, in fact, I remember that conversation. Now I can now put it in context. You said, I've only screamed at two people. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nice Dave seems to have lost his temper. Yeah. yeah okay. I got really, but I wasn't screaming at them. I was screaming at, they were there and I was yelling about something. Okay. So I made that clear to them. I'm like, I'm not mad at you, but I'm going to yell right now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's, I don't get, I don't get angry. I mean, it happens occasionally, but I think it's more normal anger. I just don't tap into that thing anymore. It's just not, it's just not happening. And then the old me of, of thinking I, I was entitled. I thought I deserved fame and I thought I deserved all this stuff. Thank God that now that I'm getting a little something and I wouldn't call it huge. It's just a nice little bump. You know, um, I don't, I, I'm just like, when's it going away? I have to keep working to keep the, keep this going. You know, because I think before, if this has happened, I would have been like, yeah, so it should yeah, be about time. Yeah. I don't Finally. know what you guys were waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have that. I just, I'm just yeah, happy. That's the, I'm that's happy the to least have gracious it. thing you can see is see someone put a Facebook status that has the word finally. Yeah. It. You're like, what? <laughs> By whose standard? <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, and I, now I have people come to me going, you're my favorite comedian. And I'm just like, that's just insane. Like there's no yeah. part of me that thinks like, that. I'm just like, there's so much, you come on. <laughs> I want to talk him out of it. So yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm humble, but I got, I got lucky to get it. I got lucky that it happened late or I would have ruined it. You know, then I'd be the guy who fucked everything up when he had a chance as opposed to the guy that never got there. Yeah. Which I'd rather be the guy that never got there and got there late. Someone gave me a book when I was starting this research and gave me Stuart Lee's, yes. Um, you know, when the, what's it called? The, uh, How I escaped my certain fate. Yeah. And that was very, um, very inspiring at the time. I've got something we must talk about. Um, I have seen a couple of your episodes of Marin. Oh yeah. So tell me about writing for TV. Cause I don't know many standups who also have written an episode of something. And that, um, that's a very specific type of TV show. You're, yeah, you're writing. It is. Are you putting words in his mouth? How does that yeah. whole process work? Yeah, so so we get together and we um and we will sit down and talk about the season and what we want the season to be, and then we will start breaking down the episodes one at a time. You know which ones we want to do, and and so we'll sit in a room and we'll all talk through the episode, and then it'll go up on a board, and so you'll have all the scenes and where it's supposed to go. And then you get assigned an episode or you pick the episode you want to do. And then okay. you go and you fill it in and write it with the words. Right, so you're in the writer's room. All of the writers are in the room with Mark, with producers. Yeah. For the, like, for the structure. establishing, to structure the thing. And yeah. then you, you go, I want to do mouth cancer. Right. Exactly. Or I want to do corporates. I yes. the other one I saw, the yeah. corporate one, because yeah. I thought that both of them had elements that I wanted to ask you about. Because, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, because I'm, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, obviously, you've, you've put it all together. You've written the actual words. Yeah. Um, but, for example, the bit where, at the beginning of the mouth cancer episode, Mark gets, he picks up a, uh, you know, he's been given, he's been driven around by a newer actor who says, hey, can you listen to my oh, show? Yeah. And then puts in a tape of him yeah. saying the script yeah. in his bedroom. <laughs> obviously, as a that- fellow stand-up, you go, did that really happen? Okay, something very today? similar to that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was doing a gig uh, in uh, in Chicago, but it was outside of Chicago. I, I, don't, I don't understand what this place is. Like, it used to be a resort. It's still a resort, but it's just it's just this bizarre sort of place where they have a comedy club. 
and it's in the middle of nowhere. You're just in like fields. And, um, and so it's like a 45 minute ride and I get in the car and the guy's like, Oh, you're from LA. What do you do? I go, I, I ride on the show. I do this. And he goes, Oh really? He goes, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to film school. I'm like, Oh cool. Good. Great. I hope that, you know, works out. And he goes, yeah, I just made a movie and a, a, a short. And I was like, Oh, that's awesome. You want to see it? Thinking he'd say, I want to, I'm going to send you a link. I'll send you a link. Send yeah, you a link. Right, right. But what he does is he pulls out his iPad and hands it to me and hits play. Oh, my God. And so I have to sit there for 15 minutes watching what is just like an indescribably on every level bad the writing, the acting, the sound, the light, like everything. <laughs> Everything about it, you want to go, you go to film school? Yeah. And so I just had to sit there while he's, so he's watching me in the rear view mirror as I watch something terrible. And it was the most awkward. I just had to be like, oh, man, oh, that was great. And just like sit there and fake my way through that I'm enjoying it. It was the weirdest experience I've had. So did you bring that experience to the initial, to the season meeting yes. or to the episode meeting? Uh, so so while we're coming up with the episode, we were trying to figure out a way to start it. And I said, okay, how about this? This happened to me. Because there's, com- there's always comedians that, that will, younger ones especially, that will do a bit for you or something. Yeah. So we just kind of combine the idea. and that's Oh, yeah. Some of, them, some of them email me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where that idea came from. Like a lot of the stuff on Marin comes out of our own lives. Of course. Uh, yes. So, and you know, it gets twisted a little bit, but yeah. So that's where that came from. And the, the other one, the, the, a similar moment was uh, the corporate gig where Mark is kind of strong armed to be his mom into helping yeah. his brother and does what we must all have wanted to do when <laughs> yeah, right? a corporate exactly right. gig suddenly turn on the. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, did you, did you suggest that or did literally every comic in the room go, can there be a bit where the comic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, when we, I, I think I suggested the idea of doing a corporate gig, but when we did that, we immediately went, well, he'll, he'll ruin it. Yeah. Because who Mark is, he's just the opposite of a corporate gig guy. Yeah. So if he, and Mark is unable to contain himself from, from saying the truth. He just, he just does uh, to people's faces still all the time. And so, yeah, it was he just, is, he is someone who, I mean, he's kind of the prime, exa- he's podcaster prime, isn't he? He's like yeah. a, well, patient zero, you know, yeah. he's, if we're talking about comics who didn't make it, started a thing, reinvented themselves, mm-hmm. talking about how they didn't make it. Yeah. Is he, was he asking people to be in the writer's room on the basis of guys, you're like me? I mean, were there, was there a selection of people with different careers in the room? Like, you're, you're the one that's like him? You're the mirror? Or what, well, what, what do you think was his... Uh... So, so Mark, when, he, when they did the first season, it was just him and two sort of journeymen writers who were just riding around L.A. for a while, and they don't have any com- comedy experience. You know, they're comedy writers, but no stand-up experience. So the second season, when he heard about it, he, the, here's the reasons he picked me. He considers me to be a curmudgeon on stage <laughs> and uh, somewhat in real life. And, uh, and I've done the 12 step stuff with the Alanon. So I know the language and the understanding of, of sobriety and that sort of thing. And because I'm a stand up, So I had those, I had three things yes. he was looking for. And you're a friend, you know, and him. I'm a friend. I've known him for yeah. 20 years. So he brought me in to make the show funnier and then to add like another element of that sort of stuff. Um, they, no one, they didn't, the show owners didn't think I could write. They thought that you didn't have any, you didn't have a sitcom in your back pocket. I didn't No, I've, I, I've never, I think I, and yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I had one then. Um, 
Yeah. So, so they were just like, what's this going to be? And then when I turned on my first script, they were like, Oh, this, you can write. This is so great. And I've right. always been, I've always been pretty good at writing that sort of stuff. I've just never pursued um, sitcom writing. Cause I don't like the network stuff. I just, I've never wanted to do. When you mentioned before, uh, I meant to ask this earlier, when you mentioned before about there's no gatekeepers anymore. Yeah. Do you feel that people like Mark and you with the festival, are you becoming the new gatekeepers? Yeah. <laughs> I hate and those I say gatekeepers. That, I, am I one? Mm, maybe it's time for some gatekeepers. <laughs> I, say, I say that so sadly because there's so many people that come up to me and go, how can I get into your podcast? And the sad truth is it's a festival and we need, and we need audience to come. So we yeah. can't, we do every year put up a couple of podcasts that have no audience and they're always, they don't do that well, yeah. you know? So at the end of the day, it ha- you have to have an audience before you come to the festival, which is sad because it would be great if we could introduce people you to podcasts. for two weeks and 10 shows a day. And it, yeah, yeah. yeah, but when we, whenever we do, and you know, it happened again this year, we put up someone who doesn't have a big audience and there's four people in the audience and that's just, that's terrible. And does that, does that give you insight into why the gatekeepers were there in the first place? Does it legitimize the idea of, because I've certainly, as someone who has to make decisions about who I have on this show, yeah, sure. I go, it can't all be people like this. It can't all be pe- right. people like this. You know what I mean? I, I, you feel a responsibility, which to me, having never run a comedy club, say, or produced a TV series, makes me go, like, I, I certainly, as a middle-class white guy, yeah. I uh, certainly would go, yep, if I was going to, if I applied to be on this show, there would need to be a reason. I'd need to have seen myself do really well at a gig or I'd yeah. need to have seen this guy. Who is this guy? Why don't I get one of the other 10 people who I loosely would, the first 10 people off the top of my head who would be in that camp? Yeah. So does it, does, does it make you kind of go, oh, the previous gatekeepers who maybe didn't give me the chances, were they right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Okay. So the gatekeepers, and still are, I think, are, um, uh, they are, they love obviousness and simpleness. Yeah. So if they're, if they, if they see something on stage that has no depth and is just bouncy and big and shiny, they think that's a thing. But when they see something with depth, they're terrified of it. And the things but, but with depth, go on. the things with depth are what people are now tapping into in podcasts. So the audience wanted that; they were not getting it. Yes, you could take a show like Christopher Titus, who's a a very an outlying example. He is a guy who had depth and did a, a one man show that led to a show, but he that's a rarity. Most of the time, it's very just like, but. Aren't the gatekeepers, the, the gatekeepers of old, when yeah. you started, when you were in your first 10 years, say, of comedy, weren't they making decisions about things being big and bouncy based on what they thought could get people in through the door? And it's yeah. a harder sell to sell depth. Yeah, but unfortunately, I think that, um, I think that as they did that, they changed. Like, okay, Roseanne is a show that's got incredible depth. Mm-hmm. But they, 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 even though that model was set, they, what's the next show that was like Roseanne? There hasn't been one because they started doing Friends and they started going with much less substance, so they changed it on their own. They had they had that, and they didn't see what they had. And what forces do you think are working on those gatekeepers, those people that had friends? What were is it okay? They, they want they want to sell the product. Yes. Fear that, that well, yeah, they total fear. they can't. In, well, was that, and what's the fear of of oh. them losing their jobs yes. because their thing doesn't work? Right, they're totally. not connected enough to their thing. Yeah. 
That's all it is. They, they, they're all scared of losing their job. Because their show won't be a success and then they get blamed and a, for and it. And a producer gets to produce. It's like an agent. You know, people are sort of saying, hey, listen, you know, if someone ever kind of wavers on, oh, I'm not sure about my management, um, a thing that you hear, certainly when I was an actor uh, for a very short amount of time, <laughs> was, uh, was um, something like you would say to people, uh, oh, yeah, but come on, they, they've got loads of acts. You've only got one career. So presumably, uh, I think that with comics and producers, I think, well, producers are always going to just produce the next show that they produce. They, they can decide which of these people's lives work am yeah. I going to attempt to, you know, in, in get stuck into and, and popularize. Yeah. That wasn't really a question. That was just a, a thing. No, um, I suppose um, given that power corrupts then... No, boy. <laughs> <laughs> do you see any downsides to your new not your new position as gatekeeper i don't mean that but the way that podcasting for a while has been it's been new it's exciting you yeah. can do it yourself it's democratizing this is great brilliant it's so great everyone's doing it what's next what like it can't keep being new and exciting for everyone or can it can it be can I, everyone have their own audience or do eventually do the audience go oh i've already got my 15 podcasts i listen to this week i can't cope with anymore uh yeah possibly how I, are I, we gonna uh, fuck it up that's, that's my question right. how are we yeah. gonna fuck up we'll the thing fuck we it love? up because we'll everyone does definitely fuck it up i think that uh i think that i think that you know you've getting a lot of people going into podcasting networks which is, I mean, I'm in one, but it's a, more of a co-op than a guy owning it. Okay, which what's that one called? Uh, it's called All, all Things Comedy. Okay. Um, Bill Burr owns it, Bill yes. Burr and Al yeah, Natural. Yeah. They put it together, uh, and we all own a part of Carl it. Carl Donnelly and, and Chris Martin in the UK, they have a show there with All oh, Things Comedy. I think yeah. they're the only Brits I know. Yeah, and um, so, yeah, there's something, there is something changing. Um, uh, sadly, uh, we're watching a lot of radio shows now turn their radio shows into podcasts. Oh! Oh God! Look, you've already got the airwaves. Leave this to me. <laughs> yeah, and they're bu- and they're bumping, all- and so people are being introduced to podcasting through them. And I don't know if those people are going and finding other podcasts. I, don't, I think they might be. Think I think when I look be? at radio stations, BBC podcasts, and you go, oh, the top ten podcasts in the UK, bang, 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 bang. You know, yeah. very few indies. But um, and I say that as if I ever look at the charts. But I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I genuinely don't, and that's really I try nice. Not that's, to. that's one of the nice things about it. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, but maybe it does help. Maybe it, maybe it does yeah. help because let's face it. Our challenge is that we're not, we're not advertising our own, sh- our own podcasts to right. the person in the street. We're advertising to the tiny subsection of people in the street who don't consider the idea of hitting subscribe frightening and weird and futuristic. And, right. You know, I mean, so it's very hard to get my mom into podcasts. Well, your mom will be at some point because she'll get into her car and, and that car will have a podcasting network associated with the car and she'll touch a button and Ford has paid money for all things comedy. And there's all the all things comedy podcasts. Is that automatic that, but that's the future of where this goes, you know? I mean, that's so, so everyone will at some point be introduced to podcasting. They aren't right now, but they will be. It's, it's going to be just normal, but it is like blogging. There's an explosion of blogs and then a lot of people stop blogging. And I think right now we're in the explosion where everyone is trying to start a podcast yes. and everyone thinks that they can be a thing. And I, I you know, with me, it, it was because I did a show with Greg and Greg had a fan base and then we tapped into something else. But if I was just a guy out in Ohio, like, how do you how do you get any traction now? Yeah. You just you're just lost. Right. I, that's what, that's what I think is sad. Cause I think there are, I think out there, there are the guys working as a security guard 
who are super talented and yeah. never could get anything going. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet there's guys out there that could make amazing podcasts, but now they're going to get lost. I think to predict the future, whenever you're dealing with something online, you should probably look at porn and what porn's doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't mean you should look at porn, you should look to porn. Because that's always the front runner, isn't it? Like Arthur C. Clarke yeah. predicted the internet, but he didn't realise people were just going to use it for porn. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the way that people kind of, you know, like you, I, as I understand, I saw a Louis Theroux documentary on it. It doesn't seem like you can be a porn person anymore because there's simply yeah. no money, no, no nothing. You know, right? There's, there's, there's a documentary on on Netflix right now about young girls who get into porn, and it's all like the fake amateur stuff. Okay, and then they get used I, I mean, up. I don't know what you mean, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, on okay, uh, no, but uh, they so they so they get it, they get in, and then they get washed out in like two months. They get used up, and they do. The amateur ones, and then they go, well, we need more amateur girls, so we can yeah. have you being around here. And so that's what porn is now. Yes. And it's a guy who's almost like a pimp who brings them in and puts them in a house. They do six movies, and then off they go. Yeah. So it's just kind of like a I – that, s- I guess that's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, God. Podcast pimps. Oh, this is weird. This is a Pandora's box. Um, I, I wonder, in a more positive uh, view of the future, whether – Actually, it might be. I mean, because we know there are vloggers now. We know there are people like PewDiePie and, and right. Stampy Longnose or yeah. something like that. Um, and Zoella, those, those are just the three that I've heard of and uh, don't yeah, really know what they do. Tyler something is a big one here. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they're they managing to use the internet in a way. In which, I mean, maybe that's a different, as I understand it, they are all making millions of dollars um, through advertising. Yes, and they're trying stand-up and they're really bad at it. And it maybe doesn't matter because the people buying tickets to see them aren't buying tickets to see them do stand-up. They're making a pilgrimage to see the person they love. Yeah. So it's like pop. It's right. like seeing a pop band. It's like that to me band. is really sad to watch these people who... Because I, I, we did an episode of it, not Marin, an yeah. episode about that. Okay. And, and just watching what they do, I was like, wow, this is really... There's a lack of talent here that is extraordinary and they're making millions of dollars. It's yes. really sort of fascinating. Um, what would you like to be your legacy? Oh my God. Or what is that? What does legacy mean to you as a stand up, as someone? And I know that a lot of us came to this thinking this will be fun. There'll be yeah. beer and girls. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and in much smaller font, artistic expression, question mark, you know, <laughs> um, that's how people come to it. And then you discover it and you actually go, Oh, there's, there's a lot of things in this. There's, there's, there's a lot of artistic expression. There's a lot of, uh, of the feeling that you could change the world or change the world for some people, which is much more sort of realistic. But what, yeah. what happens after the career? When can you see yourself, when can you see yourself retiring? When is it done? What are you going to do after it? Are you going to work till you die? Probably. Ten questions, pick one. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'll probably work till I die because I always want to be creative. But, I mean, I think there's a point where you become irrelevant stand-up-wise. I think that for for a lot of people, you're you drop off. We'll, we'll see. But now, if we I can know, get people different? of our age listening to podcasts, right. then by the time we're going. 70, 70 year olds will still be uh, yeah. they'll be in homes, and we'll be doing the same joke every thirty <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I mean, my legacy, I think, is 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 perseverance and 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 an example of don't give up and just keep trying, and you can make it your own way like i i did this myself i didn't i I, someone just said look at my wife was like okay so let's talk about the ideas you've done you thought up walking the room 
That was your idea. You thought up podcast festival and you thought up the dollop and they and they were all very successful and they were all your thoughts that nobody else thought those things up. You, she, she, so my wife's like, you come up with ideas that work. And I'd never thought of it that she just said it like three days ago. And I was like, I never thought of it that way, but I guess, I guess I do. I guess I am a guy who comes up with ideas. I've never thought of myself in that way. So, so I think that, I think for me, I think I'm an example of a guy who you can struggle for a long time and then you can come up with your ideas now with this new world we have and you can make stuff happen on your own and you can build something because the gatekeepers are gone. You can build your own thing. So I think my... You can build your own gate and start keeping it. Yes. <laughs> and you can keep other people out. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's it. I think hopefully my legacy is, is that people can look back on what I did and, and get some inspiration to do it themselves and come up with good ideas and make something happen instead of walking away from it. Do you feel lucky? Yes. I think I'm incredibly lucky. I think that, I think for two reasons, I think that if the internet had been around early in my career, I would have destroyed myself. Cause imagine if I was doing that in a giant. Yes. Right. Imagine if you were punching the CEO of Google. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and I he mean, just went, I, "Oh, you're the internet blackout on you for the rest of your life." Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it would have been, I would, I, I would have had or, no career. Yeah, um, and then the other thing is, is right when I'm about to end it all, this stuff opens up to me. So I, my timing, the timing of that stuff was extraordinary. What does it satisfy in you to be creative? I sort of, I feel like I get, I get your answer about what about working till you die. That's an interesting what is question. It, what does it mean, though? What's the what's the answer beyond that? What does it actually do for you? I mean, I've I've always been creative. When I was a kid, I I used to write stories. Like when I was as soon as I learned how to read and write, I would write stories all the time. I think that because I had such a horrific upbringing, you know, just sort of parents that weren't available emotionally at all. I think that I poured it all into that and I get a charge. Like I feel like I feel like alive when I when I am creating. Like you kind of made your own belonging. Yeah. Like, like a it, sense it, of belonging it, you didn't find at home. Yeah. You created a thing and you went, This belongs to me and that And it comforts me and it makes me feel good about myself. Like that may have been how I, you know, got self love and made myself feel was creating something that I liked, you know? It's it's a it's definitely it's so funny. I, I I just went back and listened to Hothead, which I hadn't I don't think I'd ever listened to it, you know. And it obviously evolved through the whole the month run at, at Melbourne. And I listened to it and I was like, fuck, that's good. Which I just don't that's, that's just a new thing. thing. But I was like, that's fu- that's a good fucking show. Yeah. And that gives me like that's like it just like a charge, like like that's a way of comforting myself, right? Like I made something. And then I worked on it for a while and now I like it. Like that's, that's kind of like taking care of yourself, you know? And finally, what would, and you can interpret this any way you like, uh, what would be on your comedy gravestone? Oh God. Uh, <laughs> I would probably just be, he didn't give up. Should have. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks for having me. This was great. So that was Dave. Thanks to him for coming on the show. Thanks to you for listening to it. Thank you if you were the uh, the pod gremlin or podblin. 
uh, who uh, who logged that show for me. I forget who did which one, but uh, they were very much appreciated. Thanks to Nathan for producing the show. We we rarely mention Dan Melrose anymore. He did the music. He's got his own podcast. If you're interested in two small northern men talking about comics, you should definitely check out uh, When Giant Monsters Attack, Beautiful People Die, which is the name of his uh, comics-related podcast. Go and check that out. Do, of course, find out about The Dollop, uh, which is Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds uh, doing covering obscure aspects of American history. That's a lot of fun as well. And, uh, yeah, keep listening. That'll do for now. I'll speak to you soon with, hopefully, if we can dig him out, if we can dig him out from obscurity, Matt Kirshen, uh, who very kindly looked after me while I was in L.A. So thank you to everyone um, that I met at the festival. Uh, thanks to people like uh, Charlene and Helen. Uh, and thank you to all of my guests, Todd Glass, Jimmy Pardo, Jackie Cation and Dave Anthony. If you haven't caught up with any of those ones since, I really think you should. They're, they're really exciting conversations uh, with some podcasting and comedy giants from the States, uh, not all of whom make many forays to the UK. So uh, if you're listening in the UK and you have yet to check those ones out, please do. We'll be back very soon. (laughs) 